What's up, everybody, and welcome to our final episode for season two of Our Small Majority. I'm your host, Christian Black. I'm your co-host, Matthew Gorichkovsky. And we got the whole gang with us right now. We have everyone from Did You Know? We have our editors here, our social media coordinator, the own infamous Petty LaBelle. And we just came together to um, just give a review of what we thought about this season, what's to come, um, and all the crazy things that's happening inside the world right now. I wanted to just share my own uh, experience during this whole season. I didn't think we would get this far, especially um, especially when it was just me and you, Matt, um, uh-huh. starting for season one. And then the team just grew further and further and further. And I'm like, oh, OK, we have like a whole little army now. Um, so I, I'm really, really proud where season two went and even the extensions for the sideshows mm-hmm. that we ended up developing um and then what's to come for season three that we might be transitioning over to films now um and actually showing some visuals since this room mainly is composed of people that are filmmakers or <laughs> have been on stage um mm-hmm. and have vast experience when it comes to that um but matt what did you think of this season and what do you think might happen for the third one that's coming up i also didn't expect uh for us to build such a great team you know uh i i did kind of expect us just me and you to be for the long run and just doing interviews for however long uh just because we were kind of that's kind of how this started when you went to denmark and did those first couple interviews that's where mm-hmm. the idea first originated. So I had a feeling we'd just be doing it by ourselves for a while. Uh, but then during our break between season one and two, we just kind of kept growing our team. And it's uh, been so much better ever since. Um, so that's really exciting. For season three, I'm hoping that we can start doing video. Uh, that's, what we're, that's what we studied in college. And you know that's what we've been doing. So I'm hoping that we can actually start doing like mini documentaries, you know, maybe actually filming LWL because I think that would be so fun to watch. Yeah. Um, yeah. We might even start making our interviews uh, going through video, but uh, I think we'll probably still be doing recording just uh, like uh, virtual interviews uh, for now. But yeah, I'm, I'm really excited for season three whenever that happens. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And um, when it comes to just little white lies, I didn't expect that to grow <laughs> and actually be a, a, a thing. Um, oh, girl, I almost called you petty. Imani. I can't. <laughs> I'm in character right now. I'm about to say, that is petty, my what you name. Think? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. Hello, Imani, everyone. Miss Petty LaBelle. Hello, everyone. I How am Imani are you Woodley. today? How did you like this season? Um, I loved it. I thought it was a lot of fun. Um, I learned a whole lot. Uh, Christian is like my own personal news outlet. Um, I'm not down <laughs> with the, with the CNN or the anything else, whatever else y'all watch, but, um, Christian Black is where I get all my information. Um, it's been great learning, um, things that I didn't learn in school or had no knowledge about and just being able to give information to people 
in our age group and people outside of our age group and teach people stuff every couple weeks um, and just giving them some insight into history uh, in a way that's like relatable. So yeah, it was a lot of fun. I loved it. Can't wait for the next season. There will be a next season, right? <laughs> we hope so. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's just going by ear mostly. And then we're like, Oh, it looks like we have grown some more. So yeah, we definitely hope so. And it would be nice now that Miss Rona is finally clocking out or it looks like that she's packing up her purse mm. so <laughs> it looks like that she's gonna move uh with vaccines rolling out and things of that nature so hopefully we'll start doing films and actually put our faces on the screen um and we'll have a whole new level of pettiness um but that's what i'm really really looking forward to um now, I know that when it came to the various, various takes <laughs> that we took for Little okay. White Lies, Imani, uh, mm. we couldn't have done it without Eliza, um, our Next. editor, um, and how we came in last minute. Ooh, can we add this? You know, <laughs> things like that. Eliza, I just want to personally thank you from the bottom of my heart. From Me all, too. Yeah all the things that you did, all the foolery that you had to listen to, us laughing at our own jokes before it's even released. (laughs) Um, And I just wanted to get your perspective on what was it like being an editor for both Little White Lies and even other shows as well. Yeah, um, it was really fun editing um, these whole these different episodes um but mostly because both of you are just so entertaining to listen to like i didn't even mind like all the different takes they were very funny also um but also i just like i liked editing little white lies also because the stories were entertaining and they were like something new that i haven't heard about whether it be like um the original charlie and the chocolate factory story or like what happened at Bruce's Beach and actually like seeing like these stories um like working on these stories and then later on seeing them like happening on the news or like updates about those stories were um pretty interesting to me um yeah and I really like just enjoyed editing <laughs> Little White Lies as well as um Do You Know like that's a whole nother wavelength of um, audio storytelling that was so fun to get into. Um, Corey really um, brought the whole story together, and then just the record, like listening to the recordings and like putting the listeners into the story um, through different mixes or like through like um, the ambience. I don't know. It was just fun. Most definitely, most definitely, and it's sort of like you get an inside look or you find out before anyone else, especially I know in regards to like Bruce's beach, like how that was sort of our first episode and our little pilot episode, if you will. (laughs) And me and Imani were like, "Mm, I don't know about this one. Let's try to rewrite it, blah, blah, blah. And then the news came out and was all like, Oh, no one's heard of this beach and blah, blah, blah. And everyone inside this group was like, I've heard of it. I saw this. (laughs) So it was um, really exciting. And that really gave a push for um, that episode to be revamped and released for the public to say, oh yeah, this is this is some news right here. And this is also 
the part that the general media left out. Um, and I think that that's really the best part when it comes to Little White mm -hmm. Lies um, and even the audio also, storytelling too. But I know that no one would even know about these new segments or about our interviews without our social media coordinator, which is Megan. Um, she goes above and beyond when it comes to making sure that you guys know what's up, what's good, what's about to be posted, um, and even clowning on people that are being racist or unfair <laughs> around the world. <laughs> Megan, I wanted to thank you as well, just for being on top of it, girl. And always managing not only Instagram, but Twitter and Facebook and doing whatever black magic, Disney magic stuff that you do <laughs> in order to grow our audience <laughs> and make sure that we're heard. Um, but what was your perspective on being inside the social media realm? Yeah, well, first off, it was my pleasure. I had a great time doing it. Um, yeah, I it, I think it was fun. I think um, we were able to bring a lot of attention to issues, um, if bring a lot of attention to the podcast itself, uh, but also have kind of those spare moments of, you know, we're not going to talk about this. We don't have, like, there's so much to talk about. So, like, here's this side thing of information for you. Um, so I think that was really rewarding of being able to share even more information and then clowning on people is always fun. Like you, you can't go wrong with that. It's a good time. <laughs> yeah, most definitely. I would say that my favorite part of the social media was just us inside of our little group chat and saying, I found one, I found a clown and just giving it to you for you to post um, during the week. Um, and I can't wait to continue that because there's all sorts of clowns all over the world. And that's just my oh, favorite definitely. thing to do. It's just be petty. Um, but last but not least, we have Corey and you came up with your own little shindig. Um, Corey, what was your overall perspective coming inside, uh, this new season and doing audio storytelling since you're most, um, you're mostly a storyteller when it comes to film. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it was great because um, uh, DYK actually started as a as a photo series, right? Uh, I think you and Matt saw the first iteration of DYK, which was um, yeah. it was images with text and explaining things. And and uh, w when I spoke to Matt about doing a podcast, I realized the reason I liked doing the photo series was because it took these events that sound so insane and it sound they sound so unreal, right? And they give them context and they let people imagine it. And I was like, well, if that's my goal, then a podcast does that even more fold because, you know, photos are static and still, whereas, you know, an audio, an audio experience really immerses a listener into, you know, the context of a, a situation and scene. And so that was always the goal with DYK was to take these unreal events and make them feel tangible um, in both their, their sort of tragedy um, uh, and also in, in in their historical context, I think you know history. When people think of you know history, these things didn't happen really that long ago, right? Right. right. Um, so yeah, I, I thought it was a it was a great season in terms of testing um, you know how to best integrate an audience into a scene with sound, and um, and it was also a, a great exercise for me on how to find sounds. Uh, I I have found so many obscure YouTube channels that are dedicated to just the most obscure like niche sound effects like there's a like I, I i one of our episodes i needed this i needed the sound of like an old model t 
and I was like, there's no way I can find like a, a noise for that. Oh yes. And then I found I found a YouTube channel <laughs> dedicated only to Model T noise engine sounds, which I thought was hilarious. Um, right. But also, again, a huge shout out to Eliza who uh, put out. I, I I like I handed her assets and she came out with like with like beautiful work. Like I handed I handed raw ingredients and then and then I got handed back like a Mona Lisa. So uh, Eliza, thank you for like <laughs> saving me. <laughs> right. Definitely. Like we just for both Eliza and Megan, we just dish out all sorts of crap <laughs> as creators and storytellers. I'd be like, here you go, can you make something of it? And they end up making something about it. Um, and I think that that's really the beauty of this group as a whole is that we end up making a story with the smallest lead, with the smallest post, with the smallest, oh, did you know about this thing or did you know about that? Or rumor has it. And we are dedicated and we actually drill in to the nitty gritty of that event or that person or that ideology. And we try to provide a story for you guys to digest and actually understand while, you know, the media is throwing things that are back and forth and usually has some sort of intention behind their storytelling or wants to sway you towards um, a certain side. Um, so I think that what I appreciate most about this group is the all how authentic we are. Um, yeah, I, I enjoyed everything about this season and while this upcoming season three is happening um i'm excited for potential filmmaking i'm excited for more stories more segments um uh, wherever whenever that might be <laughs> um after this hiatus um but before we go while we're talking about stories and events and things that are happening around the world all inside the news and stuff um I just wanted to know y'all as a group, <laughs> y'all perspective, all the crazy stuff that happened around like maybe the tail end of 2020 and then how nothing sizzled down here at 2021 and people are still being, you know, wild. Um, like just today, I opened up my Instagram and um, I found out that a high school in Texas is auctioning off ninth grade black students like a slave auction inside of a huh? snapchat yes a what? snapchat no. group yeah, message were, from a dollar to a hundred dollars tell, tell it like it is Corey. yeah they were like they were doing like a yeah no they were doing like a like i don't know how to describe it it was like a like a larp like a fucking like uh, oh, pretend, uh yeah pretend slave auction with their black classmates like they on snapchat which is the most like wildest thing ever, and I, yeah, I mean, okay. The craziest part was I, I talked to Eliza about this. Uh, in fact, like Eliza read uh, the script for our first episode, um, like way back in the day, which was about um, uh, the Wilmington coup, right? Mm -hmm. And when she read this, she was she messaged me back and she was like, "Holy!" She was like, "Oh, holy shit!" Like, like this is crazy. And I was like, "Yeah, it's crazy, right?" And so it was funny because when we did this first episode, in my head, I actually was struggling to be like, "Are people really going to believe this happened?" You know, because it's mm -hmm. not, you know, this isn't covered by like, you know, standard, you know, media or not told in stories. And then literally like the same week that we were going to release January 6th happens. Yeah. And crazy racist white people storm the Capitol, which is exactly what happened in Wilmington. And, they, <laughs> and I was like, wow, 
like <laughs> like not only like and we didn't we didn't time that at all like just to be clear like we did not wait for the insurrection to happen for us to post that we, we were always going to post it on that week mm -hmm. and it just so happened that it lined up which was crazy to me that like literally almost literally like 90 years later no no literally 100 years later it's, it's still happening right <laughs> that was that was yeah so that that was really striking to me that i started off the show worrying that people weren't going to believe they were going to say i was exaggerating or that you know oh it didn't happen like this and then it happened again yeah so that that was really wild to me wow man just saw it's mad did you have anything to comment about that i mean i just think it's wild like doing doing this show and like all like as like exactly what Corey said as we're doing the show, uh, all these things are happening again in time with when we upload episodes. You know, like how you you're the first episode of LWL that you waited on, right? That happened <laughs> within within the second season, and then you're like, okay, now we have to post it because right. you know, and we didn't know that that you know, there's no way of for us to predict it happening. It just kind of coincides in that way. Um, and it's it's pretty wild and also frustrating uh, to see history repeating itself in that way. Yeah, because I think Christian, I think something you said earlier about like us, like getting a tidbit of a story and going all in. I think we have to when it comes mm -hmm. to people of color. You know, like they weren't teaching Wilmington in my history class. They weren't teaching Okoye. Mm -hmm. They didn't teach about the destruction of Black Wall Street. They weren't teaching any of this, mm -hmm. right? So it's almost like necessary for us to to hunt down these stories and tell them because if not then they just keep going ignored right. because the people at the people in power don't want to address that they don't want to they don't want to acknowledge things happen and, and only like it takes and if it does get acknowledged like in the case of okoe it takes like a hundred years literally like the city apologized finally to their residents after on the hundred year anniversary mm -hmm. right and they still won't and, and even even with the apology they won't even consider things like um reparations or giving back the land that was stolen. Right. 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 So like it takes a, it takes a hundred years. I, I had this quote in DYK. It takes a hundred years to get an apology. How much longer for reparations? How much longer for actual justice? Right. And it's crazy. Like I think the main reason why history ends up repeating itself um, is due to two things. It's a lack of the appropriate policy and actual practices that need to be put in place when it comes to our government and a lack of education and exposure of what really went down 100, 200, 300 years ago. Um, and people will throw out like all sorts of solutions, stuff like that, like, oh, give me free healthcare or give me this or give me that or blah, 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 blah. And which I'm all for, like there's a lot of stuff that should be free inside of this nation that isn't. But when it comes to the complex policies and the complex uh, laws and bills that need to be put into place and how long it takes. Um, it can be daunting at times. And Megan, I want to refer to you for this because not only are you a whiz at social media, but you do have a background when it comes to political science. Um, when it comes to being educated inside politics and actually making sure that these policies or like certain policies actually go into place what is the general population missing right now today like 
That's such a when big you, question. Like, when you see, yeah, like when you see like that Twitter post or like someone saying, you know, we should move this thing over here, like Patrick Star meme. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> what like goes off in your head? Like, mm, it's not that simple though. Yeah, so it's it, it's such a hard dynamic to be like, you know, educated in the political system, but also hate the political system. Um, because it's like, you know how it works. But you also are like, this shouldn't be how it works. Um, So when you're kind of speaking to how slow the process takes, it was designed to be that slow. Like, it was designed to take a long time. Um, They didn't want, like, crazy changes happening, like, all the time. Um, So the process, the, you know, go to the Senate, go to the House, go to the President. Like, there's so many steps. Um, and that's why we don't see a lot of change happening. And it's the same reason, you know, you kind of spoke to, um, we don't see a fundamental change in our government, then of course, we're going to see history repeating itself because we're living by the same laws as we were 200 years ago. Um, so it's, there's, I don't think the people are missing anything. I, I think they're frustrated with a system that's no longer efficient. Um, and I totally, um, encourage people to become more politically literate, uh, political literacy in this country is an absolute nightmare. So a lot of people don't understand what's going on, but they know they're angry and that's completely valid when, you know, a country's not working for you. You shouldn't have to know the intricate proceedings to have a country that protects you, looks after you. And you feel safe, you know, living in. Right. Exactly. And... Well, it's funny because, like, oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Jump in. No, it's, it's funny because, like, like, like Megan's right that, like, the way our system is set up, it, you know, it don't, it doesn't, it doesn't allow like quick change. But that's only, if, that's only if you're progressive. Like, uh, the Republicans, dude, they they swapped out Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and her, you know, her body was still warm, dude. Like they they affirmed they affirmed her replacement real quick. But yet, when it comes to things like Medicare for all, or you know, we can't even have a conversation about these things because Republicans control so much of the media conversation because the media, the media and politics in America are so skewed right, right. Whereas you know, the far left here are really just normal politicians everywhere else, mm-hmm. right? Like Bernie Sanders is a moderate in Europe, right? Mm-hmm. So you know, it, it, it's it's also I, I think reason the reasons why things are so slow is because the system is not only built that way but it's controlled by people who don't want to change right mitch mcconnell would rather mm-hmm. uh give the another tax cut to <laughs> the richest 500 companies rather than see anyone get any kind of care in america like literally no republicans voted yes on any of biden's uh on biden's bills for for covid relief for 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 like nothing <laughs> across like in the house and the senate nothing Right. So the system is built to be slow and it's gutted even further by people who are in power with privilege and don't want to don't want that privilege taken away. Right. Yeah, I think that definitely plays into it. But that's like a whole other thing of. Um, yeah, that it's true. Democrats here are like the, the center of European countries. We are just so religious and so conservative in this country that everything has just come to a standstill and then there is this issue with republicans will do anything they will bend any rules to get what they want 
and the Democrats are so like, you know, we have to be rules, rules, rules. This is how it works. They're not willing to do the same. Um, so it's great, you know, we might share ideals about healthcare with some of them, not all of them. Um, healthcare, taxes, like that's great. But if you're not willing to put in the work to get those things done, like what are you doing? Like, you know, I hate the Republican Party as much as anyone, but like they get shit done. You know, no, you no, have to do. give them that. Yeah. Yeah, they get things done. They know how to market their platform. Like somewhere in that like evil group, there's like there's there's like this tiny seed of genius. It's like that evil genius thing. But Democrats are just like too polite to do anything about it. It's not even just polite. It's like they have some kind of uh, it's like this neoliberal obsession with fairness that doesn't exist. They're like, oh, like Joe Manchin's like, I'm not going to kill the filibuster because we can't be too partisan. I'm like, bro, did you just watch the four, did the last four years, were you like asleep? Or like opposing, um, opposing Joe Biden, one of Joe Biden's cabinet positions, because uh, he's, he, he said that uh, her, her tweets are too partisan. I'm like, did you, were you not here for four years of Trump? Where he like basically took a shit with his Twitter like every day and like, like was racist and like sexist on Twitter? Right, like there's this, uh, I don't understand. There's this, this Democrat, like moderate Democrats, have this obsession with like, oh, like we, like yeah, you're right. It's like this, this, this obsession with being fair when the other it's side also has moral already superiority. Right, exactly. <laughs> when like that just makes you lose. You're mm-hmm. not superior. You just lose. <laughs> it's yeah. insane. And with him too, specifically, like yes, he's a Democrat, but he's he's. A moderate democrat who's in a very republican area so he has to like you know if he wants to get reelected, he has to play to that demographic and can't be you know i'm democrat on everything and that's not something republicans do like republicans don't give a shit what their base says uh they just kind of do what the party says to do no they go and to cancun for that they, could, they, just go to, they just go to cancun <laughs> No, but it's but it's 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 really messed up because I think we've seen over two hundred voter suppressor sorry voter suppression law throughout the country, right? And mm-hmm. so we desperately need to pass HR one, the voting rights bill, um, to we can so we can stop the Republicans from gerrymandering, uh, because the census came out. So this year we're re, we're redistricting, and if they get to gerrymander like they did back in uh, the last census, we're totally screwed. We will not win another election anywhere in the Midwest ever again, right? Uh, so HR one, which which would require destroying the filibuster, uh, you know, and Joe Manchin like doesn't understand that like if he wants to win again ever, he has to pass HR one, or else all these voter suppression laws go into effect, and uh, it basically allows like Republican leaders to send their own electors, even if their constituents vote Democrat. Because you're right, they, Republicans don't give a shit about their constituents. They don't. That's why they voted no on every single COVID relief bill that Joe Biden has passed. Uh, they just they just want to hamper up um, and create culture wars because they can't. Dem- Republicans have been, have exposed themselves to the fact that they are no longer with the party of fiscal responsibility because of the, the 2017 tax cut, and they are no longer uh, the party of family values because of the fact that half of them are accused of being pedophiles and sleeping with with uh, young girls like Matt G- like mm. Gates, um, and so now they have to stir up culture wars. That's the only way they can drum up their base. Oh, Mr. Potato Head got canceled. Oh, Dr. Seuss got canceled. Like that's 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 the only way they can drum up their base is starting culture wars. They, you haven't heard a Republican talk about policy in like five years because they know they can't win. 
the Amer- the American Rescue Plan was supported by seventy percent seventy percent of the country. That's more than the that's more than the recovery plan by Obama in two thousand nine. So <laughs> you're absolutely right that they don't give a shit about the constituents. They just want power. They just want money. They don't actually care about like trans rights or trans people. They just want to vilify and create an enemy so that their base can go out and vote for them. So you're totally correct. You know, I know. when it comes to oh. Well, um, give me one second, Megan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to jump in for here because it's that word right there when it comes to culture. And when you get, like, really in the weeds for politics and things like that, politics ends up being everywhere when it comes to everything's political, that whole phrase. Everything is political. Um, When it comes to sports or entertainment or movies or um, food or everyone has a hand inside politics. And I think that on the flip side of the coin, when it comes to being politically literate um, and informed, um, going back to that whole education um, statement that I said earlier, I wanted to expand further when it comes to education, not only inside the classroom, like learning your ABCs or being inside AP history during high school and things like that, but actually being educated through culture or through pop culture or through entertainment and things like that uh, there's various devices and tools that we can use in order to educate ourselves like okay has anybody seen judas and the black messiah yet yeah i have you saw it okay yep imani did you see that yet yeah i saw it okay so doing that in general and making films like that that are beyond black suffering. Don't even get me started on that one. But making films that actually explore the historical context of this nation, the true historical context of this nation, would not only help educate people, but inspire them to be politically literate. Because it's going back to that whole statement that we said earlier, why is history repeating themselves? Because people aren't educating themselves on what happens but also at the same time, they're not inspired to learn what happened because we have a, a fixed notion or a false notion, I should say, of what history is. Um, and Imani, I wanted to tug on you a little bit no, when it no. comes to, yes, you. No, please. <laughs> I'm coming after you no, just you. to be a little petty here because no, we had a whole ass conversation about this while recording Little White Lies and how movies, films, and art can be used as a device in order to inspire not only black people, but marginalized communities in general. Like, I just want you to explain some of your concerns or maybe even some frustrations that you have when it comes to creating films that are a part of historical context. Um, that's a tough question. Uh, just because I feel like the films either can go one of two ways. It can be really uplifting and educational and we understand something or it like perpetuates stereotypes, which I think is the problem and something we mentioned in our episode about um, when it came to the film industry. When it comes to using film and art as a device mm. in order to educate and inspire people to be politically literate. What are some concerns that you have or frustrations that you have while you concern, consume media today? Well, that's hard for me because I consider I, I will put myself on the spot and say that I am politically illiterate, I guess, about a lot of things. Um, 
I don't like to deal with politics because I find it frustrating and annoying and geared toward a set of people that I don't know it just doesn't I feel like it looks at one side of the coin a lot of the time and um Mm -hmm. I don't I don't know if the film industry is doing enough like you said in some aspects to tell all parts of the story there are some movies that do better than others um it can be inspiring to get people out there to start doing more but I wish that they would not perpetuate so many stereotypes in movies sometimes um i i think that that i don't know you don't want a movie that's like 10 hours but like th- th- we need to do better with all sides of the story i i still feel like a lot of the movies that that have political backgrounds still uh still um glorify the white side of the story or yeah, what's a what's like a what's like an example of you can th- if you can think of one of like of like a of that kind of preference, that kind of white preference. Now I gotta go down the list. Uh, <laughs> um, I got a PDF right here. To yeah, you. fine, pull them up. <laughs> no, I'll, I'll find something wrong with it. Like the white savior type of movies. Yeah, or just just that mm, that that they. I feel like we don't we don't get the full background of anything. A, a thing, uh, something that's sticking out in my mind right now, and not that I didn't like that movie, I actually did like it. But there was the movie that Taraji and um, I can't think of the other guy's name did about. Now I gotta Google it. Hold on, about um, hidden figures. No, not hidden figures. That was actually a good one. I I appreciated that one. That was one that they. I felt like they didn't yeah. whitewash that much. Um, but uh, uh that's a good example that's that's a good example i have to watch it again i probably probably would still find some some things in there but that was a good one um the best of enemies civil rights activists and water yeah the civil rights activist and water faces off against cp ellis um the uh the he was one of the leaders of the ku klux klan they did a good job with the movie mm. and not that it didn't come to a good conclusion but they all it uh, i mean I don't know. I'd have to do more research on the story, but it felt like one of those movies where it's just like, and together they all come to a conclusion and they're all friends, right. even though he was definitely a leader of the Ku Klux Klan and he oh, supported black people. I know and uh, the Green Book. The Green Book. The Green Book. That's another movie. That's another. The Green Book was also another. Yeah. yeah that's another they, like. That's they, another false like. Both sides are peaceful movie. Like right. no, dude. Like what are you no. Like they about? play. They played that man out. Like especially the oh, like, the scene that irritates me the most when they wouldn't let the man eat in the restaurant, but he was supposed to play there that same night. Don't. I right. Don't. Um, and we're just okay stuff with like that. that. <laughs> right. Right. And 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 again, not that these weren't good films and they weren't like directed well and written well and stuff, but I I'm curious about more of the historical aspect of it and like. Did did they really come to? They said that Ann Water and and the CPLS guy really did end up being friends and whatever. And not that people can't turn around and can't change and can't decide to be better, but like, also, what year was this? Like, if you're one of the leaders of the right. Ku Klux Klan, like, I'm sure that didn't just go over well, just off top. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. I don't, I don't know. I mean, stuff like that where I just wish. You know, everything doesn't have to have a pretty picture at the end, and I wish they would tell a little bit more truth or explore more backgrounds of both sides, particularly the black one. <laughs> oh, no. I mean, like, like these these films, like The Green Book and what you're describing, <laughs> they want us to believe that, like, 
they're part of this whole like racism is over right neoliberal exactly like, like uh uh color blindness yeah right they're part of this whole <laughs> what 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 is called like the they trying to they're trying to create what's called a post-racial movement yeah but they pretend that, that was, racism died. that was then this is now and it's like yeah, no exactly. just kidding no. this is a joke and, like, and no. all of this is still happening just right with new media like it, right it's, it, it's yeah. the same right it's the same stuff recycling. and so and also i, I mean I, this is one of my personal theories is that i think that um I personally think these films are really popular because uh, it lets uh, white people feel good about themselves. Yeah, exactly. That yep. was another point like, that I like, was it just, get to. You know what I mean? They they don't like watching uh they don't like watching Black Plasma because it makes it forces them to sit there and be like, oh wow, we. Uh, well, I feel fucked. like a lot of white people don't like movies. Well, what we were talking about in our episode, Christian, when it came to black mm-hmm, films, mm-hmm. especially, is that I think you know how certain movies where black people don't suffer. Um, make right, people uncomfortable. Right. They're like, that won't appeal to an audience. That's not exciting. Mm. And it's like, mm. well, why? Why can't we have regular ass lives exactly. like everyone else? Like, no one has to die. We don't have to do another mo- 50,000 movies about slavery. Like, we get it. It happened. Like, and it's just interesting that, that quote unquote regular black life is not mm-hmm. deemed like appropriate or like it, marketable. And it's, it's like, right. eh. Yeah, it's because white people see that there's actually a lot of like film research done into this um, mm-hmm. by a man named um, Richard Dyer. So white people see themselves as the norm, right? Because they're so because they're so universal, like everywhere, like yeah. they're they're just We're homogenic universal. In, our, in our media, right? Right. So, but the, uh, that universality also makes them invisible, Fact. unless it's pointed out to them and they get used to it. They right. don't. They, they're not. They're not used to seeing their whiteness as anything, right? Right. So then, when a uh, when a person of color wants to just be a regular person in a film. White people, like neoliberals, will jump to like, oh, what, why do they have to be Asian? Mm. Is there a reason I got? Yeah. Is there a reason I'm Asian right now? Right. Do I, do I require justification for being Asian? <laughs> right. And so you know, but you know, they never ask that for a white actor because to them that's normal. Right. To them that is, you know, they don't know anything else. Mm-hmm. Right. So when it, when a person of color wants to be an actor, they require justification. Right. Right. They require. And this is this is this doesn't just extend to 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 race. It also extends to sexual orientation. True. Uh, it extends to gender. Oh, why does why does the character have to be trans? Right. Because they are. Right. What? Or why do I need to give you a goddamn reason? Why do we have to get an actual trans person to play this character? I don't know. Maybe be fucking right. respectful. Like I just don't. Uh, like, <laughs> because there are trans actors that would actually like to play this role, and some right. kind of mm-hmm. a cis white person doing it and pretending to be something that they're no, not. No, don't worry. Uh, Emma Stone. Emma Stone can look. Half Hawaiian, don't worry. I can't. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> uh, you know? Yeah. And then they say you're being too political when you do that. Right. 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 Because, you know, it's, always it, an excuse. it's because, yeah, it's because they enjoy, and also because, you know, most neoliberal, moderate white people live around other white people in suburbs, right? Mm-hmm. And so, like, the, the, the mere bringing up of any kind of race, bring, bringing up anything that's out of the norm, it freaks them out. Right. And so, oh, you're being political. Like, no, this is my, this is my identity. This is who I am. Well, that, that, you know what I mean? Because, because they get uncomfortable because, uh, because of their universality, they be, they they think of themselves like, oh, like it's not about me anymore. It's and not so about you, but if a black person tried to play a prominent white character in a movie, it'd be a whole fucking uproar. Oh, right? yeah, like, like, like yeah. <laughs> uh, I think, um, you know, it, it's they're so used to being centered. Right. They're so used to it, and when they're not, it freaks them out. Like, um. A Christian shared, um, Christian shared this interview that this this British lady did with um, with Toni Morrison, 
Oh, and she was man. like, and she was like, she she was like, will you ever write about white people? No. And, her, and she was like, no. <laughs> Toni Morrison was like, no. Why? Like, it, like, and and, and uh, Toni Morrison had a great response. She just like she's she looked at this this British woman and was like audibly blinked at her and said, "You have no idea how racist that question was." Right. right? And this white lady just couldn't fathom why that was racist because she didn't understand how she was once again speaking to one of the most prolific black authors that ever existed, and just said to her, "Why don't you want to? Why don't you write about white people?" Include white people in the right. story, right? Because white people are always in the story, right? Exactly, because they're so centered, right? Mm-hmm. They become so centered, and they, that becomes their norm, right? We talked about you know equality to somebody with privilege feels like oppression, mm-hmm. right? And 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 that's that's where we go into this whole thing of like uh, the pie chart of civil rights, where they think civil rights are a pie chart that more for them, less for me. No, not how that works. A rising tide lifts all boats, right? Um, Come on, so yeah. facts and quotes and metaphors. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> See, I get all my information from y'all. I love it. <laughs> OSM News. We'll be the yes. right around and throw it at somebody. <laughs> we'll be a, we'll, we'll, we'll be I'd alter- actually watch the news then if y'all did it. We'd be the, we're the alternative to, one, to OAN. <laughs> oh, God. That's all. Don't even say that. <laughs> Don't even mention their name. Oh my god! I saw I saw a commercial for Newsmax once, and it was just like, every shot was an American flag. There was an American flag in every shot. I, and their commercials are, are crazy Corey. too. Random what was that? thing while we were on the topic of movies, Christian. Did you ever hear mm-hmm. about that rumor? I don't know how true it was, but that the there was a rumor that um, before they chose Cynthia Irvino to play Harriet Tubman, they asked like mm-hmm. Sandra Bullock or somebody white huh? to play Harriet Tubman. Yes, <laughs> Wait, I heard I that. that. I heard <laughs> that. <laughs> <laughs> oh Wait, how would that even work? Yeah, we we all want to know how that will work, but I'm sure that it has. Oh my god! Can you guys imagine like the the, the YouTube trailer comes on? <laughs> you you've heard her story, but now see it live, and it's fucking Sandra Bullock. <laughs> Bro, I want to see that just for comedy's sake, you know? Like I just I want to see the backlash, like the whole uh, the Pepsi thing. I think she specifically turned it down because she was like, "You're not about to put me in this." Oh no! I, I think her. Like, I think her agent told her, "Don't do this." Don't, her don't agent was care. like, "If you want a career, <laughs> say no right now." Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious! That's hilarious. But yeah, there is. Absolutely. Yeah, there is. Oh, wait, wait, Eliza oh, just said the thing. I told Julia Roberts. Julia Roberts. I was gonna say too. <laughs> I thought it was Sandra Bullock. Somebody. Oh lord! Eliza Sai, here is actual article proof for oh, you. This oh, white woman. <laughs> I okay. just thought, like, you know what? It must have been mighty dark when she was rescued and enslaved. This was really funny. Mighty dark. This, the, the photo, the photo they put, the caption for the photo was so funny. <laughs> Julia Roberts left, and Harriet Tubman. <laughs> right. Like that was gonna provide oh some context God. for them being what? Julia I don't even Roberts. remember. I don't even. Yeah, so you know, <laughs> I mean, this is how a perfect. How does this even work out? Like, I don't. They don't care I mean, how it works like, out. They don't. They they, don't it's market to them. This yeah. is marketable. They're like a famous actress. We can make it work. We'll put her in blackface or not. We just blatantly won't give a damn and just like make the movie. Can you imagine she has a British accent too? I mean, that I honestly would not be surprised. They slap accents on everything to make it better, oh an attempt to make it better. But yeah, I mean, this is a perfect example of like white centering, of how and like how and how 
it, it's so funny because it's a feedback loop, right? So white actors are popular because white people get all media attention, right? And they're seen as the norm, right? So then black stories and stories from other people of color get pushed to the side. So not as popular. And it, it just keeps, it feeds back. It just keeps feeding yeah. over and over and over again, right? Um, <laughs> so they create their own demand and they supply it, mm-hmm. right? Um, which is, yeah, yeah it's, <laughs> but you know what's funny? Uh, Matt. Uh, yeah, call me out. No, I'm not going to call you out. I, I, think, <laughs> I think Matt. Next on the list. No, no, no. I was saying Yikes. because uh, Matt has been around other like filmmakers and 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 oh, other yeah. situations in which he has very, 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 very like looked around at himself and was like, wow, like this is a very inequitable situa- situation. We're surrounded by only white people, or somebody says something that you know that somebody thinks Matt will agree with, and uh, like like for example, like Matt, if Matt was an executive at like a great a big distribution you know company like this. He would Matt would never ever ever suggest this like not in a trillion years even no matter how profitable it could be, and I think the reason for that is um, and I, Megan if you want to speak up as well like the film program that we all came up in was so diverse and it offered so lucky, many voices lucky y'all <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah but, but like, <laughs> oh I know super lucky but it was it's because it was built that way like or you know our professors are queer. Um, we have a great um, African-American documentary professor, right? But these executives and these people who control the strings of Hollywood, they went to USC, they went to Chapman. Like, we're talking like, we're, we're talking like, I, I don't want to say percentage because I don't want to tell a lie, but like, we're talking the majority, like all white people, like mm-hmm. all, like, like massive amounts of uh, you yeah. know, people from USC and Chapman are white, right? Rich, so it white. creates, right, and it, right, rich, rich and white, right? Because obviously, you know, no one can afford mm-hmm, to go to mm-hmm. fucking Rich USC. and white. Right. Make that clear. Right. So then it, it right, and it creates like this this um this barrier, right? This white bubble where they never get exposed to like to, they don't talk to people of color and so they think this is okay. Right. You know, so I, I really think that um if we were to be able to diversify our education, right? Because I think that's what helped me too, right? Learn about um queer issues and feminist issues, right? Because there were there were so many women in our program, right, that, that it, it really helped me understand and see a viewpoint that I don't have, you know, so mm-hmm. I think that's a really big way we can help fix these issues is just we need to to find a way to diversify our sources of education, not only with our classmates, but with our professors as well, who's teaching us, because those perspectives mm-hmm. matter, too. Yeah, shout out to UCI Digital Filmmaking. Let's go. That's how, that's how we all met. Even Imani, it's because Christian uh, did a project and Imani was uh, acting it. So uh, all I think all of us came together because of that program. Word. So uh it's great. Also, what was I remember? It was it was so because that because Digifilm was so uh, different from like that was my first experience in film, uh, taking those classes. And then I went on like eventually I went on an actual set outside of Digifilm, and it was just like I it was weird because I had a culture shock. Even though I'm white, I saw it and I'm like, these sets really are all just white people like mm-hmm. on these sets every single person there was one black person on that set and he was like a background you know actor or dancer or something and i just i i just i felt very uncomfortable in that setting even though i'm white as well just because i can't like, imagine working in that setting yeah it's, it's, it's ah, very true my that life. The film industry, <laughs> oh no i'm so sorry eliza like when you start working on like these higher 
it's unfortunate that with my experience, um, the higher the budget, the wider the production. <laughs> it's unfor- it's super unfortunate, but it it it's like I worked on this thing. I can't say who because I NDA, but the I was the only person of color. The entire team. How many like, there women was a were produ- there? There was a producing team in America. There was a producing team in Britain. There was a, a ground team that I was a part of. Uh, across all teams, I was the only person of color, and mm-hmm. and I was like the I got like everyone's lunch. <laughs> you know what I mean, mm. right? So even even if we are able to get into the room, it's usually in these positions of servitude, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And that that wasn't even your job either. It wasn't. I, I, my, job was the the DIT. my job was to be the DIT. My job was to be the DIT. We talked about about that in our movie in our movie episode too about how like the power positions are are not given to people who look like the a good handful of us like it's just Mm. it sucks that all the green lighting power and all the executive decision making is made by people who don't have our best interest in mind and we have to get their permission to tell the stories we want to tell and do the things we want to do and it's like how are people supposed to get move forward that way and you know people are doing better trying to create their own you know avenues and their own production companies and blah 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 but there's still like so much more to do mm-hmm. that's why i'm there's so happy with things like man. array have you heard of array now yeah array yes. is- ava duvernay started like that's amazing i wish so we need- her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> i mean yeah you see i think the one i don't want to say side effect because i mean it shouldn't be this way at all but I think um, when it comes to filmmakers of color, um, we have really been able to create these really strong communities for ourselves because no one else wants to listen to us. So we'll do it ourselves. Right. And um, I'm just really happy to see there's such solidarity amongst filmmakers of color and like um, these strong communities that we're able to hire ourselves. Right. Give work to ourselves. Right. And be able to share opportunities amongst ourselves because they're not afforded to us in other means, right? Um, but, you know, as much as I'd like to say that, it's also true that we shouldn't, it shouldn't need to be that way, you know? <laughs> you know, Array, which is fantastic, in, a, in an ideal world, wouldn't exist because there would be an equal opportunity for everyone, which is not, that it doesn't, it doesn't exist in America mm-hmm. or perhaps not anywhere, right? Especially not for Black and other filmmakers of color. Um, you know, there was one thing that sort of hit me while watching. I'm going back to Judas and the Black Messiah. Um, whenever I see like films that actually have black leads and things like that, I'm like, oh, okay, it's cool. It's gonna be a black lead, blah blah yada yada. And it sort of hit me. It hit me after our um, episode with Pago Matthew. And how I oh, yeah. asked him, oh, what is your experience being black in Europe and in Denmark and, you know, um, experiencing racism and things like that, blah, blah, And he was like, well, it's definitely not the same as the experience for African-Americans or black people that are inside in America because he, he initially said uh, that being black isn't a part of his identity which unfortunately is sort of forced upon here mm-hmm. inside the United States. Like being black and having that suffering attached to it um, isn't a part of like who he is. Like he can't really identify. He doesn't have to like consciously think about it. Like, yes, he does think about racism and things like that. And he does have, you know, 
every now and again a, a white dame come in and say something that's stupid like wants to touch his hair or something like that um but he doesn't it's not as prevalent and that really stuck with me while i was watching this movie while you'll have people that are black cast inside lead roles but they're from overseas Hmm. or they're from hmm. a different country or they're from this or that and i'm just like you couldn't find a talented african-american don't get me started on or that something one. like like british people are was, taking I, all I'm of our roles to be petty but hmm. like no be like, petty be like petty that i don't know why be petty <laughs> and i was just like you know what and like there's amazing actors out there like he did a phenomenal job doing that role inside judas and the black messiah i'm not gonna um spoil it or anything but in the back of my head i was all like how important is this to you since you're from overseas or like how invested were you for this and that's that doesn't mean that african-americans are automatically invested inside of a role just because it's directly related to them and their suffering but it always makes me question it when first off why did you decide to grab that person rather than you know, pick from an actual person that might be able to relate more to this experience. Um, and then also their investment inside the film itself. Did you do it just for the money or was it actually important to you and did this transform you as a person and as a an artist or a storyteller? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. What's y'all take on that? Yeah. Um, looking, okay, okay, so when I chose the first stories for dyk i i chose them because they made me really upset and it made me upset for two reasons they were like upset because like they were huge injustices but also upset because they were both um or sorry all of them were not stories that were being taught or told right and however like when i got to the end of the season i sort of looked back and i was like wow i did three i told three stories and all like really centered on like on like uh, black pain, and I had to like sort of adjust. I, I don't know. I thought about it to myself. I was like, I was like, I didn't I, I didn't do this for commercial reasons. I'm not getting none of this. You know, I'm not getting paid. But it it was sort of like I don't know. I, I had to sit there and think about like my relationship to the story and how I was you know doing something right because um, I don't know. I, I, it really made me sort of look at like I had to, I, it was a debate in my head. I was like. These are stories about black pain. They are all over the place, and black people deserve stories that you know that 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 celebrate them. They're about happiness and joy. And on my other end, it was like um, these are stories that are not being told and not being shared, like deliberately, because they are examples of white power. And so I, I guess that was a question that I'm still thinking about in my head about like what is a good ratio of of trying to expose this white supremacist system of history while also not trying to valorize or commercialize black pain, you know? Definitely, definitely. Like, anybody else? Because I know this is kind of like an uncomfortable topic for a lot of people, especially when I ask people who aren't black, like, oh, what do you think about this, about black suffering? And they're like, ooh, I don't know, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, I already know you're cool. Like, you were marching with me 10 days ago. So, Mm. like, Matt. What? Uh, that, <laughs> come on, what, Matt. Like White Matt, people stand up. What What did you think? Oh, standing, what do you think about for that? These interviews, bro. <laughs> come on, Matt. Come in. 
Uh, <laughs> you idiot. Ask, so ask, ask, ask the question. Wait, wait, ask, ask the question. Like, could you re-ask me the question? <laughs> Are you bracing so yourself for rambling. it? <laughs> I just want, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, Matt, when it comes to finding that perfect ratio, like what Corey mentioned, uh-huh. not profiting off of black suffering and making it commercial, but at the same time exposing white supremacy um, and white superiority. Um, what is your experience in that as a storyteller or even your time here? Well, it's, 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 it's a hard thing to balance, you know, especially if you're like a white person like me trying to uh, write a story about a black person. Right. And there's, you know, and like now, now, and let's say you're writing a script because I'm I'm actually writing a screenplay, and I had to uh, like my first my first one. So I, I don't know if anyone's actually ever gonna see it, but uh, it's more so for practice. But uh, my character is a is a black woman, right? And so I had to consider like what that means. Originally, it wasn't originally the character. I usually just think about the character as myself first, and then as I start fleshing out the story, I start thinking more about like who the character should be. And my decision there was like, well, why does it have to be a white person? You know, why does it have to be a white guy? Mm-hmm. So the premise was, um, the premise was, due to like historical aspects, I knew that the the main character would be a woman. And then uh, after that, I said, well, why does she have to be a white woman? You know. So I said, well, let's. Uh, what? How would this story be if she was a black woman living in America? Uh, uh, it's about running a marathon. So. Do you know when when women weren't allowed to run marathons? And I was just thinking, like, how would that be? You know, what would happen and stuff like that. And I had to think about that because um, a lot of you know, there's a lot of conflict. Like, story is conflict, right? Drama is conflict. So you have to really consider how you portray that conflict. And uh, like Imani was talking about, not you know, I not encourage follow- all white people who choose to include black people in their stories or tell stories of black life to enlist black people to help with that because there's mm-hmm. no way Absolutely. for you to do, do it on your own. Not you specifically, Matt, but like also you. Um, that's just my yeah, PSA in general. Abs- I'll I think be you quiet have to. now. <laughs> yeah, no, there's, there's no way you shouldn't, you know, like, but a lot if of people have, do. A lot of people. Yeah, do. that is true. That's that's where you fall into those traps of uh, falling into those like really bad stereotypes in these stories because of just white people thinking writing they know. a story. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thinking thinking they know what's going on and how it feels, right? But they don't. And there's there's no way you there's no way they can actually. They, there's no way they know how it feels. Right. You know, to be a black person living in America. So when when they're telling stories, it's impossible for them to to do it on their own effectively. And so I think we need more of that for sure. I don't know if I answered your question, Christian. Uh, I was just kind of rambling there. Well, Imani had the answer. The answer is stop. That is, the, yeah. the answer is stop, stop, stop pondering it and then go find a black filmmaker to help you. That's the that's the answer. <laughs> and, and it's not just bringing in like the relevant community to the writing room. You also need to bring them to set. Um, I worked on a film a long time ago um, where it was, the story was about uh, a Native American reservation. It was about a Native American runner. It was actually very similar to what you're doing. Um, and they had the script approved by 
Um, they actually brought I mean, all the talent were Native American, but they also consulted them throughout the entire writing process. Mm-hmm. Um, and on set, there was actually a representative from um, the local tribe who actually came and was like watching us film and watching us. And they were like, oh, no, no, no. Like, you know, we, we don't set our table like this. You know what I mean? And they, they mm-hmm. were a fundamental part of the entire production, right? So I don't think, I don't think if you're telling a story about a specific community and you want to be truly faithful and authentic and not just harnessing their story for profit, they need, they need to be a part of the entire process. And of course, those people were paid, you know, for their time. Um, so I, I, I do think that um, Amani's suggestion was, 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 is, is that, I mean, that is the answer. It's to involve these communities if you're wishing to tell stories about them. Most but good luck with your script, Matt. <laughs> right? Uh, thank you. It. Hey, I'll, I'll send it. If you want to read it, I'll send it to you once, uh, if I ever like it. I'm down. <laughs> that might be. Like I'm not an athlete, months. so I might not be the right person to ask. That's but fine. I'll read you it. write scripts, though. I know, yeah. I know you wrote your script, so I know oh, you write scripts. So, so, you have... so silent. <laughs> <laughs> he's leaking info. He's leaking info. Now we're trying to throw me back under the bus. I'm leaking info, everybody. Yeah, I only. I only show people who uh, have actually written scripts before uh, my my drafts because no one else would really uh, right. understand how to read it <laughs> properly because it's not like a book or anything. So, you know, an extension of that when it comes to making sure you're authentic or the ethics or, you know, up in line or making sure that, you know, you're not being boo-boo to fool when either telling a story not or boo-boo. post. <laughs> not boo-boo. Don't be boo-boo to fool. But um, I wanted to extend this question towards Eliza and Megan. So in the world of toxic social media, <laughs> say I'm going to be a little theoretical right now. So Eliza and Megan, like Eliza, say that you're editing a film or a story or a YouTube video, whatever. And right at the tail end, you get to a scene that is hella racist or like, oh, you thought this was a good idea. Like being an advocate outside of the spotlight and being and saying something and speaking up while no one's looking. How do you think that you would handle that? Or have you handled that before? Have you been like, no, I'm out when it comes to this film or no, I'm out when it comes to this post or anything like that. And even towards you, Megan, because I know that you have experience when it comes to growing social media pages. Like, has there ever been a time, like what is your line of saying like, no, I'm gonna stick to my values, and um, yeah, I think it was last year. But um, a friend who I will not name offered gave me uh. <laughs> they gave me a contact of this person. <laughs> they, you know, oh no! They, they oh, gave no, it to no. me too. Oh my god! Tell the story, Eliza. Tell it. They were they were like looking for a video editor, and I'm like, oh, like. I don't have a job like I'm definitely gonna take it I think it pays well enough and then I look at their and I, I research my the employers right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I think they run like a right-wing oh. news yeah right-wing newspaper right-wing online newspaper like and extreme then, extreme right-wing yeah <laughs> make it so I don't leave any details out oh yeah <laughs> And then I was like, okay, no, um, is this like, and then uh, like, I trust my friend's judgment. So I thought like, oh, is this like- <laughs> Oh my God. Okay. This friend is me, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this friend is me, but. <laughs> we do pretty, not petty. 
Like, do I trust this? Like, is this a test of my character? <laughs> Corey texted me the same link, and I got a, oh I got a text from I, I completely deserve this. I just want to say I completely deserve this entire section. Please go ahead, Megan. No, like, I, I, Eliza texted me this. She's like, hey, you know, did Corey talk about this with you? And she's like, I feel like this is a test of my character. Like, what was this? Um, yeah, that was... We had a good laugh over that one. Yeah, it's not so, the first time Corey's done this. I think he's done this to all of us at this point. No, no okay. First, you know, I do not send right-wing jobs to everybody. So <laughs> uh, I, I met this guy. I forgot his name. So I was at a, I was at a film festival because my film had was playing. And so I, I met this guy. He said he was like a producer. We shook hands. You know, he was like, a, he looked like a normal Asian dude, right? And so I follow him. And we follow each other on Instagram, right? And he posts like a lot of like food videos. Like, oh, he does he does like food content for a newspaper, you know? I didn't check on out. I checked in the newspaper. I would have realized it was a crazy right-wing psychopath site. Uh, and so he was like, one day on Instagram, he was like, oh, he said food. He said food, uh, digital network looking for in, looking for editors. And I was like, oh shit, that's perfect. I said, so I sent, him, <laughs> sent it to Megan and Eliza. And without knowing that, like, without knowing that he like worked for like this crazy right-wing newspaper. And they got back to me like, Corey, are you testing us? I was like, wait, what? Huh? And she was like, "Oh, this he, they work. He works like a right wing newspaper." And I was like, "Holy shit!" I double ch- I checked. I was like, "Oh my god!" I was like, "No, this is not a test. Please don't work for him." Oh my god! But uh, yeah, that was really funny when that happened. Um, I mean, I I think also like I've seen ads for like cinematographer looking for uh you know looking for a cinematographer to shoot a commercial for a local California Republican. I, I like I just like swipe left. Like bye bye. Like I want. I don't even consider it. I don't because I just I can't be. I, I can't live with myself knowing that I'm part of a system of white supremacy, right? Or like and your or, name would be on that like forever. Right. Exactly. Um, however, uh, Megan is correct. Uh, I sometimes do send things like grants or applications or like things that I don't read all the way. <laughs> I just like read a little bit. Like I read the headline and I just send. It. I, I've done this a Matt too. Or I'll send in like yeah. a, a writing workshop and it's like BIPOC only. And I'm like, oh shit, my bad. <laughs> I fell into I I fell into uh, working with some Scientologists oh, without shit. knowing it. That's right. I remember this. I didn't know for a long time until I knew, and then I was like, "Shit." <laughs> well, yeah. all right. Hey, they're super nice, but also uh, allegedly, so we don't get sued by them. Allegedly, they're also super crazy. So uh... <laughs> from our best I don't sources, saying allegedly takes away anything you just said. Hey, no, no, no. <laughs> Let, uh, let's pretend uh, the it view, does. The views expressed are personal opinions. They do not represent OSM. Uh... <laughs> no matter how accurate or how jarring they may be. Oh, <laughs> well, you know, okay, that's funny, Christian. So, um, I was listening to the Daily from the New York Times, which is mm-hmm. basically a right-wing web, no, website. They just call themselves uh, balanced. But they were talking about the the when you talk about fair and balanced, like they're talking about the jury selection for mm-hmm. for the Derek Chauvin case. Oh. And there was a black man that the defense that the defense like dismissed um, because he said that he believed that the police were systemically racist. Mm-hmm. And obviously, the defense cited that as bias and mm-hmm. removed him. But that's true. Mm-hmm. right and there was there was actually another person who wrote anonymously into new york times and they were like you know i believe that the police are biased mm-hmm. but if i say that i'll get removed from this jury mm-hmm. so should i lie and say i don't 
or should I say so out loud? Mm-hmm. Right. And I was like, what a fundamental failure of our system that you can get removed from a jury for believing the truth. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Like that, uh, that is, uh, that was really crazy to me that you have to choose like, cause you know, if you are someone who believes that, that the police systemically mistreat and abuse black people, which is object, which is at this point objectively like true now, right. For everybody to see. Um, and if you express that truth out loud, that somehow you will perceive as being biased when you don't, that, that's just a fact, you, right? You can literally pull up the statistics and be like, it's not my, it's not just I mean, my opinion. Just look, it's like, it's right here. Look at Minnesota, man. My God. They just, yeah. they, they really be out here just like killing people for no reason, for no reason. Absolutely none. No reason. You know, when you mentioned that, uh, that reminds me of how Florida, Megan, maybe you heard about this, what Florida is doing right now. Um, they're trying to work on police officers. Um, they're trying to work on police officers having the right to remain anonymous when they murder someone. Oh, my God. So it just falls on the police department rather than the officer's name. So when that's released in the public, it's just, oh, the police department killed you know like um, that's any better honestly exactly (laughs) they like to defend the police they'll they'll make up laws to defend the police exactly i'm like you making laws as you go huh and i was like well first of all florida of course you would offer this true and i was like and second of all that really concerns me when it comes to in a court of law and who's going to get sued that's or who's gonna get the blame because the money. whole department not going to prison if at right. all so like who what okay no no, we should, no no we should no we should light on that mm-hmm. we should follow okay yeah, go ahead Megan. uh i haven't heard about that but my guess is that it remains anonymous to the public to um keep a fair jury selection um because i know that's an issue that's been happening is when these cases get so publicized um, it's very hard to find an impartial jury. Hmm. Uh, and I'm not saying that's right. That's just like how the system works. Um, like even with the um, the Boston bomber, like way back, uh, they had to petition to move the case out of Boston because everyone was so like angry and pissed off about it. They couldn't find an impartial jury. So my guess is that it's for jury selection, but there's going to be some sort of record of like, this is the officer who did it. And they will be, I don't want to say held responsible because knows about that but like there is i assume a record of who did it it's just like not going to be public information well until until they're charged um, yeah, until, until they're, they're charged. charged i don't know if, if I, which, which is too late. which is a which is a huge if yeah, right, right, so, right, right, but, but, right but it's it's the fact that but it's the fact that we get these officers in the act mm. that is what that's been well i mean there's no real difference because they still get away free but that's what made the murder of George Floyd such a global event. It was the fact that we can actually name and shame these people. And also because Derek Chauvin had like 17 other abuses of force violations. Mm. Right? Um, so like, I don't know. That boohoo. Crime River. Um, I-, I think another law I think I saw within Florida was like they were trying to make it so that um, they're trying to say um, if you insulted a police officer they were allowed to retaliate. What? Did you guys hurt their feelings? This needs yeah, to be for like 
food workers. That should be a law Give me for a second. food uh, workers, police not police officers. Officer insult law. <laughs> if, if your customer uh, offends you, you get to jump them. I would love that. Workers. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> the, a, 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 yeah. So a Kentucky bill uh, would make it a crime to insult or taunt police officers. That's so dumb. Okay. Okay. <laughs> they're children. Like they're actual children. They need a they law are. saying you can't tease me, or else else I'll shoot you. Like what? <laughs> oh, Kindergartners so know how to deal with this better. Like that. I mean, it's already terrible, but dang, really. I mean, it's fr- it's... it's frightening. It's frightening to think that the majority of police officers are people who failed at other careers or had no other path to go. Some maybe. Some maybe want to do good, and perhaps now are stuck. Oh, okay, no, no, no. Even ones who do, even ones who try and stick up for people. Like uh, there was that one um, black female officer who stopped oh, her white yeah. colleague from a choke. Thank God she won her court case today after 15 years because she got fired for that and he got promoted for choking out um, a suspect. And she stopped him and she's like, "Dude, he's already like halfway unconscious. Like, stop. Yeah, he's already handcuffed. Like, stop choking him." And he, she got fired for that. So. Even though, oh, good cops, real bad cops. No, good cops get fired yeah. and bad cops get promoted. That's how the system works. And thankfully, she won her court case. So she's going to like 15 years of back pay, which is, you know, great for her. But it takes, it took 15 years for her. To, it, it took 15 years for her fighting her own police union and her own officers. Like, so yeah, this whole system is, is just completely broken. And so like, it, 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 these bills and these laws are just, they are just ways for them to maintain their supremacy because these officers know that they don't have a high school diploma. They can't do anything else. Not a high school diploma. <laughs> I said what I said. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. The The benefits that officers get are like crazy. Insane. I want to know what the testing procedure is like because we're obviously not testing these people. In that Guess what, Imani? Guess what? The precinct decides. Decides who get like passes? Yep. Yep. Precinct decides. Precinct is like uh they they have a determination for what they dis- what they decide what conduct is. I mean, yes, they have to go to the police academy, but what the f- like it's obviously like, the police academy obviously the police academy isn't working if a twenty nine year veteran can't distinguish between their fucking and then the taser right? and a fuck. Okay, I've been to a gun range. I've held I've held I've held firearms and I fired firearms. That thing is so heavy. Right. It's a heavy gun. It's not like video games, and a taser is not that. It's 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 been. Po- I've been on the police force for 20, 29 years. Yeah, you can't distinguish between a fucking taser and a gun. And like, it's crazy. It's wild. Yeah. You know, the only thing that shocks me more than what the police gets away with is what all these neo-Nazis got away with in Huntington Beach. Bro, I'm not sure if y'all yeah. saw that in the video footage that happened over there. <laughs> but I am I saw still some in photos. awe. You saw, I saw some video, and they started calling out some names. Like, oh, this person has already had, like, has a warrant out or some shit like that, and is under a different name and stuff like that. And out in broad day, like, no arrests. Nobody's hunting him down. Yeah, well, the police, the police came for the anti-protesters. I was gonna say there was arrest. Mm. Who'd they arrest? It was a, uh, it was a counter-protester. Let's go. Of course. (laughs) Right. Right, you know, I think uh, I think uh, Rage Against Machine said it perfectly. Same ones who work forces, same ones who burn crosses, same people. <laughs> yeah, they're, the, they're, uh-huh. the Venn diagram between the KKK and police officers is one circle. 
<laughs> no, it's it's true. Like that's why the insurrectionists got so far on January sixth. It was designed. It was cleared for them, right? <laughs> I think so, they just released a report today that was like they found evidence that they told the Capitol Police ahead of time to like take it easy and back off. I'm pretty sure that's something that came out today. Right, but this isn't this isn't unique to January sixth. Like when they stormed um, Michigan, when they stormed the Michigan Capitol. Dude, they got let right in. They were allowed in and just allowed to yell at police officers and allowed to threaten uh, the governor's life and their work to kidnap her. And, you know, we're going to... Yeah. I... <laughs> it, it, it's white power defending white power. This, this, the, the, these systems of white supremacy cannot be trusted to police themselves. They need to be dismantled and destroyed. I think the only like ray of hope that I see is just the collectiveness of of people now who aren't tolerating this anymore. Like for example, that white sergeant that was harassing that black guy in I can't believe I can't remember if it's North or South Carolina. Um, just walking right? the street, and oh, there's protesters outside his door right now. Let's go. Yeah, there are protesters knocking on his door and saying, "Come outside!" Like, <laughs> like we won't. People aren't tolerating this shit anymore, and it's no longer a political stance or an opinion or a um, well, you know, because of this. Like when they mentioned uh, the rap sheet of somebody who got murdered, well, they weren't a good person, but he didn't even make it to the police department. Like mass murderers, you know, make it at least no. to the police. <laughs> to the, the, the mass murderers make it to trial. Exactly. They get a whole process. Mass murder mass white mass shooters, they get to have Burger King. Exactly. On the way to the <laughs> they get oh to eat a whopper God. on the way back. That's so real. It's it it you know what I mean? They're like, Oh he had he had like point he had point zero zero two percent fentanyl in him. Okay. He had a knee on his neck for like nine minutes. Like, tell me who wouldn't die with a knee on their neck for nine minutes. You're telling me if you're telling me if he was like uh, uh, Michael Phelps. You're telling me Michael Phelps wouldn't die if you put a knee on his neck for nine minutes. No, it doesn't matter how strong you are or how like uh, how physically. No, he died because he had a, he had a he had a foot on his neck for nine minutes. It, it, it's I think that's something I saw with DIYK is that the white system of power is so insidious in that they will cause violence trauma and theft but then that not, not only are they allowed to get away with that but the white system of power will even work to suggest that it never even happened or blame therefore, it delaying. on other people they'll be like this right. wasn't our fault <laughs> right and therefore delay justice right like wilmington a big justification for why the white people robbed and killed people in wilmington and, and basically coup, took a coup took over the city was that they were arguing that the black politicians uh were not doing their job that you know they were being threatened, right? Which is ludicrous because Wilmington actually saw one of its highest like economic periods under the fusionists, this combination of black and white politicians, right? So, it, it, it especially as time goes on, they don't want to talk about these things. They don't want to acknowledge it. Like in Okoe, um, if you brought up the Okoe massacre to residents, you know, in the early '90s and '80s, they were like, "Oh, you're you're trying to be divisive. Just let sleeping dogs lie." Like, bro. <laughs> those people stole hundreds of acres of land from black farmers and they never got restitution or, or reparations for that ever. So of course the white people want to just let that go. Right. 
and 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 but the white families they 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 move on like nothing happened right so this this white supremacy system is so well guarded because not only is it allowed to commit violence it's allowed to write off that violence it's allowed to justify that violence or even deny that violence ever happened we're seeing that with january 6th donald trump things like oh those those insurrectionists they 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 kissed and hugged for they kissed hugged the police no they didn't they killed six people <laughs> right so uh, the white the white system of power is so difficult to remove because it's allowed to justify its violence and it's allowed to uh, it's allowed to deny its violence ever happened and therefore deny even the beginning of justice. Hundred years it took a hundred years to get an apology for Okoye. Oh, he just got arrested, y'all. <laughs> who? Wait, who? Oh, that sergeant, sergeant guy. Yeah, he got arrested. arrested. The yeah, sergeant he got arrested. Uh huh. He got arrested and charged one? for assault. The um, the guy, guy that was, you know, did they ever mention the guy who was, no, 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 no. the guy that was assaulted, did they ever mention his name? Uh, not sure. Wait, See, I don't even know who are we talking about. There's so, about? Many, There's so like, many, I'm like, who are I'm, you even referring, what story right? are we referring okay, to Okay, right so now? the story over there in, I think it's North of South Carolina, that sergeant who was assaulting a black man just walking around on a street that lived there. Oh, and I he's like, what that. are you doing here? You better get out of here before I carry you out of here. What? Yeah, he I'm pushed about to him. put it in the group chat. He was like, yeah. <laughs> he's like, this is my neighborhood. I live in this neighborhood. I know every single person in this neighborhood. Right. I think that guy only moved there in into that neighborhood in like 2020. Too, right. I think I saw somewhere. So like that ser- sergeant. Republicanism, conservatism is about having an in-group that the military and police protect and an out-group. That the military and police do not. And that's what conservatism is about. Conservatism is about. I was Google. I was trying to Google who the sergeant, and I found an entirely different sergeant who did an entirely different brutality case. That's that's how endemic this is. See, I was looking for it too, and I just found out uh, the Navy quietly discharged this other guy for being a white supremacist, but they offered him administrative discharge and um, that leave no public record. Like, I, I can't even find the story I'm looking for because there's so many other stories of just white supremacy. And and you see, this is a problem that I have right there when it comes to, like, white supremacy and addressing hate crimes. Like, the whole, the whole statement that the news did when it came to Stop Asian Hate, oh, the black community or Black Lives Matter can be a great ally for, you know, Asians or Asian Americans that are experiencing um, brutality, blah, blah, blah. No, how about we address white hate and brutality that white people have been inflicting for the past 500 years? It's one community. How do we go about having that be addressed rather than it being a mental illness for the individual? When y'all go and shoot up a school, there's, there's one, there's one community killing the rest of us. And instead of pointing at them and be like, "Hey, you guys should like, get your shit together," yeah. they're like, "Oh yeah, Asians, Asian people, and, and black people need to be need to be in solidarity." <laughs> Bro, the solidarity is that you're killing us. Now, let me be very clear that that, that does not that does not dismiss the fact that there has been a lot of anti-black behavior in the Asian community. There I'm actually an expert in this. I, I I actually this was actually my specialty in university. Uh, I'm actually very well versed in the Asian history of anti-blackness, but that does not mean we can't be in solidarity. But that mean that doesn't mean we need to be in solidarity against the entire white community who keeps killing people. 
I mean, like, that's like a, that's a, I would only want to say decades. It's a century old tactic of pinning two groups against each other so they don't deal with like their own the overhanging oppressive group. That's what's done with race. It's what's done with um, economics, social, uh, sociological classes. Uh, just it's scapegoating. It's always scapegoating. Look at this. Don't pay attention to the man behind the curtain. Are you still looking for that story? I gave up. I don't. I heard clicking. I gave up. I couldn't find it. USA Today, like they had the article, but I have to subscribe or whatever. Mm -hmm. That's another thing that like really bothers me and is a reason why this country is so polarized. Is print media all all the media like the good quality journalism? You have to pay for. But all the free stuff is like the crap like Fox News, MSNBC that's super polarizing, but it's the only accessible thing for people. People are denied the access to accurate, good journalism when it does exist in some form. I I think a part of it I think a part of it is there's also some people who don't care. Uh I I know a few people that uh watch Fox News and OAN religiously. Pretty much, that's all they watch every day, and uh, half the time I don't even think they know what, like, understand what they're watching. It's like just like uh, their brain. It just seems like their brain is melting away. And anytime I talk to them and even show them, there are resources out there that actually study these like uh, news broadcasts and stuff, and which are biased and which are the best to watch. And uh, you know, I even even showing that they don't care. You know, mm. they just going to watch their news. Even when you show that, you know, Fox News was sued because uh, Tucker Carlson crap did kept keeps lying. But then Fox News even said, well, anybody that any anybody watching it that believes Tucker Carlson is saying the truth is an idiot. He's just entertainment. That's their legal so, argument. Their legal argument. A, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, that is. Uh, and then when I and then when I bring that up, they're like the 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 people I talk to that watch it, they're like, oh, they just did that, so they're not going to be sued. It's like, yeah, yeah, but they literally just called you an idiot for watching them, and you watch them every single day, and they're like, oh well, and then they have a reply, and then they just keep watching. I mean, like, I get it. I get why people fall trapped to these things. Like, I mean, when I was in fifth grade, I also only listened to, like, what my parents said and regurgitated that on the playground. Like, those were my political beliefs. But, like, at some point, you have to grow up. You have to start using that fun thing uh, called brain functions to, like, I just, I don't understand how someone can take things at face value from one station when there's so many counter things out there, but it's also... This, this is going to sound conspiracy, but it's not. It's like how it works is they get in this system of saying, like, everybody else is a liar. You can't trust anyone. You can't trust anyone. And you, like, mm-hmm. you, you cement that in people's heads. So it doesn't matter how much people are saying to the contrary because it's cemented in their head that no matter what anyone else says, it's a lie. So I can only listen to this thing. Um, and I mean – you're totally right, and I think Facebook has a huge part to do with that. Like, it's Mark Zuckerberg's algorithm that puts people in echo chambers, so that they their only news sources are OAN, Newsmax, and Fox News. I mean, let's be clear: if I only watched Fox News, OAN, and Newsmax my whole life, I'm pretty sure I would be a QAnon freak. 
right? Because they're like, oh, the, the the immigrants are coming to replace you, you know, because Tucker Carlson is doing his racist dog whistle, right? Because his whole replacement theory. Um, you're totally right. I mean, it, it's it's just a travesty of preying on on white people's fears, right? And just fear mongering. Mm-hmm. White people would have nothing to fear if they left everybody alone. Period. Uh, you're absolutely goddamn right. But uh, Republicans don't get votes that way. Ooh. Facts. They don't. I mean, do they actually? I mean, on a service level, do they actually think like gay people are icky? Like, probably. But do they, do they care enough to do anything about it? No. Mm-hmm. Unless it got them votes, then they care a lot. Mm-hmm. Like, that's why you. That's why you've seen them shift their focus from from gay right from gay marriage to trans rights. Right. Because they what? Because you know, they, let's be clear. They lost. I mean, okay, let's be clear. Republicans are doomed to lose everything. <laughs> because they can't keep winning the culture war because their generation dies off because it's, it's always older white people who hold these really darker views on humanity right bye bye right so <laughs> that they lost the war on gay marriage because you notice that no republican brings it up anymore right like they lost That's that not game true. it they came up on. this year it did come up this year right but yeah. their flashpoint right now is trans rights and they're arguing like oh we're trying to protect girls sports like bro what the fuck are you talking about you make fun of the WNBA all the time what do you mean you're, what, you you make fun of the uh, uh the girls na- the women's national team for soccer and despite the fact that they're triple as successful as the men so you know it, republicans have no they have no policy have no base it's just who what outgroup can they vilify and stir up for their base to get votes for in 2004 it was gay marriage uh now it's trans rights uh, you know, uh, during 2016 to 2020, it was immigration, right? It, it, it's all they, it's, it's, it's all they have. So, you know, that is how Republicans stick to power. It's just by vilifying an outgroup. They just choose one. I'm pretty sure it's by dartboard. They're like, all right, who's this week? Yeah, y'all, like, even with all the craziness that's happening inside the news and the media and, you know, Democrats versus the Republicans and things like that, it, the only thing that keeps me going, because whenever I open up Twitter or Instagram or something like that, I just close it back down again because it's always something negative, mm-hmm. is the DMs that we usually get for, you know, our small majority or even my own personal ones and how people mm-hmm. are like, oh, I'm listening to you. I didn't know about this. Or, you know, yeah, you're right about that. Or, you know, if you ever need anything, do this. And like those little nuggets of encouragement it's the thing that says, oh, we're getting somewhere with this. We're not just a part of the the mass sort of, you know, blob <laughs> of people saying, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. And actually trying to come up with, you know, solutions um, or, dis- or, or better yet, making discussions around these topics um, is really eye-opening. And it's really inspiring. And I'm not sure if you guys have ever had, like, anyone, like, come in, like, maybe, like, someone that's a part of the college that, <laughs> that we graduated, that we, most of us graduated from, well, 10% petty <laughs> you from Washington. So, but, you know, the 90% that graduated from, from UCI are, like, maybe even, like, family members or things like that that are saying, yeah, like, OSM, I'm tuning in. Um, but I know that that's what's keeping me going. What about you guys? Well, for me, it's all of you. <laughs> Keep it, I think it's inspiring to uh, be working with everybody together on this because this is something we care about. And uh, 
you know, I, I feel like it's so much better to have the group we have and we all work so well together that uh, that makes me want to keep doing it. You know, if I could make this my full time job, I would absolutely love to do this the rest Same. of my life. Anyone else? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, going off that, I think we have a lot of fun together. Um, I think we all kind of make each other think. Um, because we definitely did not intend for this episode to go two hours long, but here we are. Like, we have a good time discussing things. I think we learn from each other. And sometimes we're just, like, talking about BS, and it's it's fun. Like, it's fun to engage with people that are like-minded, and, you know, you guys want to move something in the same direction. Right. Yeah, we should do these more often. This was Amani's idea, by the way. Yeah. So, really a was. long time ago, but it's hard to schedule all of us at once. <laughs> but I, would, I would love to do these because we do this every meeting anyways. We should just start recording our meetings and then putting snippets together of these conversations or something. And I just want to say thank you to Matt and Christian for encouraging me to make DYK an actual podcast and, and you know tell the story uh, you know, through audio. Um, I also want to thank the true backbone of, of OSM, who is Eliza, our editor. Oh, without her, yeah. nothing happens. Without her, yeah. without her, this whole thing falls apart. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you would get all the raw audio, which is a nightmare. Yikes! <laughs> I can't imagine. I can't imagine editing my own voice. Dude. I don't want to do that. I just give it to Eliza. But this has been season two, everyone. Um, our season two conclusion. We hope to see you again in season three with new material, new ideas, new pettiness, new clowns of the week, um, what have you. Um, And in the meantime, make sure that you follow us on all social media platforms. Uh, If you have like a comment to say about this episode or any of the episodes, you are more than welcome to DM us, leave us a voice message, you know, ping us be up inside my text messages, what have you. (laughs) Um, And we can't wait to start off season three with um, a new beginning. And we have no idea what it's going to be like, just like season one, but I know that it's going to be amazing. So thank you. And as always, we'll see you next time.